You're listening to the E9 Podcast, a production of Free Drop Media. All right, welcome to the E9 Podcast today, a very special pod talking about a very special place. Uh, for many of us, we have our special places in life, our churches, our living rooms, uh, any place where our family gathers. But for those of us in the golf community, there's probably no more sacred place than the Augusta National Golf Club, a place that most of us have about a 0% chance of ever playing, and yet it holds a, a place of importance for golf fanatics everywhere. And I'm joined today with two of those golf fanatics, good friends of mine, uh, my co-host Hayden Copeland's with me, and then another very special friend, golf fanatic, John Pierce. You may remember him from the Pimento Cheese and Mashed Potatoes podcast, and he's back with us today. John Hayden, welcome. How are you guys? Are you excited to talk about Augusta? Thank you, uh, Josh. Super excited to be here. I think um, any chance to talk about Augusta National is a great day, so uh, very excited to be here. Awesome. I, I only showed up because you said that we were going to play Augusta National. Was that not part of the deal? Is, uh, I feel I like I've been tricked. <laughs> I had to get you on here somehow. I mean, it's, so we're I just can't talking pay you. I got something. Yeah, um, we are talking about it. And like I said, it's it's strange to talk about it because um, we're never going to play it. You know, most times you talk about a golf course, is it's some place that you have familiarity with some of the shots. And otherwise, this is not that. Why would you just dash hopes like that using the word never? I don't understand. I'm not well, saying I'm not saying I'm gonna play it, but I've certainly got that hanging there as a carrot for me. To well, John, I think this is an uh, appropriate story. Um, about a dozen years ago, someone's uh, wife in this podcast with me called me and said, "For John's." 40th birthday i would really like for him to play augusta national and it was the sweetest phone call can you help me make that possible that shows and you a couple was, things that she knows nothing about golf <laughs> and that she loves me so is that i know thing? she loved you so much um she was willing to put that out there but she also i mean for that to be her wish for you for your 40th birthday uh tells us how important augusta national is to you um the three of us uh, have probably combined to visit Augusta over a dozen times, um, going back a couple decades. I don't want to give away our ages, but uh, well, John and I are significantly older than Hayden, but uh, even Hayden has been there, um, you know, three, four times. So we're going to share a little bit on this pod about our experiences with Augusta, experiences with the Masters, and really, for those of you listening who may not have gone or who have gone and are looking for um, some advice or maybe just some things to look at or think about when you attend the Masters Tournament at Augusta National, we can maybe cue you into some things. So uh, to kick things off, you know, thinking about our first experiences with Augusta National, not even being on property, because that's kind of a different thing. But Hayden, when, when did you kind of find yourself, if not falling in love with Augusta National, being really intrigued by it? At what point in your kind of your golf uh, journey did you find that happening? That's a great question. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, so not too far from Augusta. And living in Georgia, right, there are points of pride, right, of things that you're proud of. You're proud of Chick-fil-A. You're proud of Coca-Cola. And you are proud that, like, your state is the host of the Masters Tournament. And so even living in Atlanta, that was the biggest deal every year. And I remember my dad would tune in, right, we would be watching. My early memories are of Jose Maria's victory at the Masters, a Marco Mira victory at the Masters. Those are the things that I remember. Um, and those are kind of the formative things of my dad saying, this is a big deal. You need to watch this. Like, this is more important than any other golf tournament you'll ever watch. So that was kind of my introduction to Augusta National. What about you, John? Um, I think my first real introduction to Augusta was 86 uh, when Nicholas won. <clears throat> won. I don't remember. I'm aware of who won the Masters before 86, but I have no actual memories. But I vividly remember watching Jack uh, win in 86. I know it was, you know, such a enormous um, feat for him to do that. And um, that sort of burned in my memory. And you know, from that moment, I have memories of literally every year since then of watching um, the tournament. And, um, you know, it's become this really special place uh, to me. 
um, I was actually driving my 11 year old son home from school um, the other day and we were talking about the US Open for some reason and, and I was talking about how, uh, you know, it's supposed to find the best golfer in America in a given time. And he said, but dad, what about the masters? So um, obviously my 11 year old is already somewhat brainwashed to know to ask that question. Uh, and I said, well, obviously the masters is the most important golf tournament in the world. It's on the most hallowed ground in the world. Uh, but the U S open, you know, has this pedigree and, and whatnot, but uh, no, it's, it's a place that it's been important to me since probably 86. I have a, that's really spot on with me too. I mean, I was, we're a little, I'm a little younger than you, not much, but we're about the same age, same generation. And um, I know a little bit about golf, but turning the TV on in 86. Um, and I was, I was actually a Greg Norman fan at that young age. And he was contending, I think leading going into the back nine that day. And um, I was really excited to watch him play. I was not terribly familiar with Jack Nicklaus in 86. And, and I think for those of you that are younger, uh, John and I can kind of speak to the Masters a little bit of a mystery when you went into the, the final round because you didn't have the all-day coverage. There was not the wonderful app that showed you every shot for every player. So we all kind of waited for that 2 o'clock window when it kicked on here Central Time, and you'd have CBS come out with the music, and there was always some highlight of someone making a big putt and crowds going crazy, and they kind of got you into the tournament. And so the, even the dramatic lead into that tournament, which I don't think in 86, I actually watched a little bit in full disclosure um, this morning, you know, they didn't even talk about Jack Nicholas much until he made a big birdie putt on 11 to kind of cut himself to you know, cut the lead down to two. Um, but just the way they kind of introduced the golf course and the announcers on each hole, you don't do that anymore. And so for most of us, you know, we weren't even familiar with the first five or six holes of Augusta National uh, up until the, you know, probably the internet age. We just had to wait for that little two o'clock window. So that was my first, you know, experience with it as well. And then when Nicholas won, I fell in love with golf. That was, that was it for me. He became my favorite golfer in, in about span of six hours. And then um, it's been go time since then. And I think the next year when Mai's chipped in uh, to win um, that tournament, I think it kind of solidified for me, my love of Augusta, especially, you know, him beating Greg Norman and, and Seve in that playoff. So I, I loved it then, but I really didn't understand Augusta national until I first stepped foot in the grounds about 10 years ago um, and walked in there and I, and John and I, uh, went together, John, if you remember that first day, we went to the first round um, Thursday morning. And what was the first thing we got to do that first round? You remember? Well, of course I remember. I think uh, of all the times I've been to Augusta, um, that one moment stands out more than any other. Um, you know, we were staying at a house, you know, near the, near the course and we were with a big group of guys and we were trying to decide, we knew that Thursday morning was the commemorative first shot you know, it was Nicholas Palmer and, and player. And we knew that was going to happen Thursday morning. And we were trying to decide, do we want to get up early and go over there and see it? Or do we just want to go with everybody else? And so you and I made the decision to go ahead and get up, um, you know, drive over there in the dark and make our way to the first tee and, and try to see this thing. And it was this surreal moment. You know, there's fog, you know, off in the distance and the sun's just coming up and you know, these three legends of the game come walking from the, from the clubhouse down, down the hill to the first tee. And we're right there on the rope and we're seeing these guys and, you know, just seeing those legends um, hit that opening shot was something I will never forget. It was a, it's a memory burned into my, into my brain. Uh, it was a really special morning. And what made it even more special, you know, we saw obviously Nicholas and player, you know, hit their ceremony shots, but that was the last Arnold Palmer ceremonial opening tee shot was 2014 to be there kind of watching him. Wow. Um, my first experience there, my, really the first time I saw anybody hit a shot at Augusta, you know, was, was Arnold Palmer hitting his last <laughs> shot at Augusta national. Cool. So it just, it felt like it was a complete coming a full circle for me of, of being in love with that place. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe I got to be there for it. Hey, what yeah. was your first Ironically, okay. Josh, um, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, that was Palmer's last commemorative shot. I was there for his last, uh, you know, competitive round at Augusta in 04. Uh, my dad and I got to go on the Friday. We got tickets for the Friday round. And uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry for the Saturday round. Um, but there was a rain delay on Friday. And so the guys, you know, had to finish Saturday morning. And so Palmer obviously missed the cut, but we got to see him Saturday morning. and 
I'll never forget him in his bright pink shirt, his last round in Augusta. It was this great, uh, awesome experience. He had this huge crowd following him. It was a, it was a really neat thing. Yeah, I've had a chance of seeing him at a couple of tournaments, the PGA Championship back uh, in the day. And it's amazing. You know, he drew Tiger-like crowds when he showed up at a golf tournament. I don't think there's been anybody since him other than Tiger that could draw that type of crowd. Even, even Mickelson and Rory, I don't think commanded, you know, 90 80, 90% of those attendants to just somehow find a way to get a glimpse of them. It's, it's really incredible testament to how incredibly popular he, he was and still is. I mean, I think those two guys have changed the game of golf more than anyone, Palmer and Woods. I mean, they, they've been unbelievably great for the game and, and really grown it uh, exponentially. And, and both linked to Augusta forever. How about you, Hayden? What was, what was your first uh, well, remembrance of being on the course? Well, my first memory, you know, it's, it's not a lot of uh, memory because I was seven years old, uh, but my, my dad took me and my brother and my mother. Uh, we all went to the 1997 Masters Tournament. Anyone familiar with 1997? Did anything think, big happen that year? <laughs> I think that was a pretty big deal. <laughs> it was uh, a special thing to be there. And, you know, as a young child, I don't remember much of Tiger Woods. I do remember as I got older, just that idea of I would imagine myself playing against Tiger Woods or playing against Tiger Woods kids when I was swinging clubs in my backyard of like, I'm, you know, it's Hayden Copeland against Tiger Woods Jr. in the backyard for the U.S. Open. Um, <laughs> like those are the things going on in my head as a young child growing up in the 90s. But for 97 to be my first experience was special, even if I didn't realize it at the time. But it's great to go back and look. There's pictures of my brother and I at hole 13, right? These azaleas in full bloom behind us. Uh, I remember just being so worn out, but also just so fascinated. But I had never seen a place like that. I've been to a golf course, but I had never seen landscape like that. Uh, the excitement, the people, the colors, all of it just mixed together. And, you know, it really, I believe, is a catalyst for why I love golf so much today, right? It's one of those foundational moments as a seven-year-old where you're walking around being like, man, golf is amazing. I want to do more of this. And it, it's somewhat sad, much like John and, and Arnold Palmer, to think that potentially, you know, the three of us attended the 2023 Masters Tournament, and it looks like that may be Tiger's last go-round at Augusta, you know, mm. it's back under the knife, more surgery, look really like you struggled. So you may, much like John, you may have been there for the first and also for the last one for wow. um, the great one. Now, I, don't, I don't want to put that out there. I, I'm going to yeah, don't, wish don't you don't say that kind Augusta, of stuff. But it's in play. It's in play. Um, I've heard that, his, it, that he's actually going to be better than ever going into the future. <laughs> we can only hope. We can only hope. Um, I, and, you know, obviously thoughts for him. So as we kind of get into this, I know everybody's probably fascinated by our own uh, personal experiences, but really what we want to do is talk a little bit about Augusta National and what it, uh, it looks like as far as a fan or a spectator. You know, the first time I walked into that place, I couldn't believe how green it was, um, how every blade of grass seemed to be perfectly placed, uh, the feel of the ryegrass, the overseed kind of underneath your feet. And so I have very vivid memories of the actual experience being there. But as a spectator, you know, when you get a ticket and usually through the lottery, uh, your tickets are either going to be during a practice round or during a tournament round. So you kind of have these two very unique experiences of attending uh, the Masters and, and John and, and I and, and Hayden, I'm not sure of you, but we've had the opportunity to see both a practice round and a tournament round. So my first question, guys, is if you're a fan Obviously, both are great, uh, but if you had to choose, which one do you want to go back for? Do you want to go back to see a practice round? Do you want to go back and see a tournament round? Well, I mean, I think I would say a practice round is better um, for me, particularly because, you know, I'm a huge Augusta national fan, but I'm also a huge Masters fan. And so when the tournament is going, I want to be in front of my computer or from in front of my TV watching seeing as much as I can. If you're there, you're seeing one thing. Um, and so there for the practice round, you know, everybody, and I'm sure you know, it's this way during the tournament, but everybody's just so happy. You know, everyone's so excited. And, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, at, at a practice round, everyone is 
anticipating what's coming. Um, and so the players and the caddies and the patrons, everyone is just really uh, happy and excited and, and the players can talk to you. And, and, you know, I have great memories of wishing good luck to Nicholas as he's walking down the hill on six and talking to Jose Maria uh, on number 10 green uh, one day during a practice round. And, you know, the, the players are just much more relaxed and, and it's a lot more enjoyable uh, just to kind of interact with them. And the opportunity to see them practice different shots and, you know, for gambling purposes, maybe take a look at some guys that you might want to think about uh, putting a taste on uh, over the course of the weekend, but really watching them kind of play different shots and throw balls down at different parts of the green and watch how the greens in particular kind of react to those shots is fun. You don't get to, of course, do that in a, in a regular tournament round. How about yeah, you? Certainly, what, you have to certainly, pick certainly in 23, you know, when we were there and we saw Tiger struggling, we were there on, were we there on Monday? Monday. Yeah. 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 Monday. Yep. We saw Tiger struggling, getting up and down the hills, you know, just walking and, and, you know, we're, we're huge Tiger fans and, you know, just the fact that he was out there was awesome. Uh, but you knew it was going to be a struggle for him to make the cut. Um, just seeing him on Monday. It was a bummer because he looked like the way he swung a club looked good, but just the way that he moved around yeah. just looked so off. And he looked so strong. His upper body was ripped. I mean, he was looking as strong as ever, yet at the same time, his, you know, the, the lower half of his body looked as fragile as ever. Um, and that was hard to see. Hard to see. Now, I, I haven't been as lucky as you guys. I have not been to a tournament round or a tournament as our, beloved uh hootie johnson would would say rest in peace a uh, hootie um but uh i have not been to a tournament round i've been to practice rounds though and i i love that i think you some people would say wednesday is probably the best of both worlds right you get a little bit a taste of the par three tournament so you get some excitement some action you also get the laid back nature of a practice round where you can walk around you can take pictures um, all of those kind of things. Uh, so I think for me, I would just say I would choose I, if I could go to a tournament round just because I haven't done it. And I think of, you know, it's, it would be hard to imagine giving up the chance to see Tiger hit his shot into 16 on in 2019, right? Like that, if you were there, that would just be a moment you would probably never forget for the rest of your life. You'd be telling stories of, man, I was there when Tiger won the Masters. I don't know. So what do you think? I think, you know, when you mentioned 16, whether it's a practice round or a tournament round, that's a place you have to visit. I think all the three times I've been there, the very first thing we did, and John, I was with you all three of those times, is the very first thing we did after, even after we saw um, Mr. Palmer tee off in 2014, is we went and trekked down to the 16th green and we set up our chair down there. And I think as a viewer, that's probably, I don't care if you're practice round, tournament round, one of the things you want to do is get your master's chair uh, and have it beforehand if you can and take it down there and post up someplace around amen corner or 16 where you know you're going to see cool things like them skipping um, their balls over the pond on the 16 during a practice round mm -hmm. or really um, monumental things during a tournament round someone going for the green and two on 13 someone going um, you know for that back left pin position on a sunday in 2000 uh, on hole number 16 like tiger did in 2019 so either way i think that i think for me I really like going to the tournament round. I like seeing the stakes being so high. Uh, I'll never forget watching Phil Mickelson triple bogey the seventh hole back in 2014 and just feeling like that was really impactful for him making the cut. And he, he didn't make the cut that year. Uh, I like seeing these guys grind under tournament conditions. And John, you're absolutely right. It is a completely different vibe. You know, we went on a Monday in 2023 and everybody's hugging. They have a great time seeing each other on the driving range. Everybody, Patrick Reed, he's kind of over off to the side by himself <laughs> and everybody else is high-fiving. It's, uh, it was extremely fun to watch the live guys get back and interact um, with the regular tour players. And so you just have this very collegial feeling between the players on a practice round that you don't get. Um, I remember one time we saw Bryson play a practice round with Phil Mickelson and, you know, they're probably doing a little wagering and doing all kinds of trick shots and flop shots onto difficult pin positions that you don't get during a tournament round. But I think for me, kind of the intensity of the tournament round is more fun. Also, something to note um, if you're going, and I, this is something that really set in this year, is in a tournament round, you always know who's on a hole. You always know who you're going to see. There's, you know, electric scoreboards that tell you who's coming down the fairway. They tell you where they're standing in the golf tournament. 
in a practice round, unless you see one of those little tiny boards that they have about five different locations around the golf course, you really don't know who's on the course when they're coming. And from a distance, it's hard to tell who's who. We even had some troubles and we're pretty well-versed with uh, our touring professionals. We had trouble, you know, knowing the difference between, you know, Tom Hoagie and, and, you know, it was whoever. tough. It was I, thought tough. That, I thought that Tony Finau was Tom Hoagie for like three holes. And that was, it was uh, so awkward. When <laughs> it I happens realized. all the time. All, they, they get confused in public constantly. <laughs> so, but it is, it is tough in practice rounds to kind of say, who is that guy? Um, unless you can see the caddy bib, but you know, either way, if you get a chance to go, you can't go wrong. Um, obviously getting a chance to go is, is sometimes really comes down to luck. The lottery mm-hmm. is a tough thing to win. Hayden, you won in 2023. John, how many times you won the uh, Masters Ticks lottery? Um, like since I've been doing it, I started doing it, I don't know, 20 years ago, I started putting myself into the lottery for, you know, practice round and tournament round. And I've won exactly zero times. I've been drawn zero times. It's you and I are tied then. Uh, uh. All these friends of mine, they, they are in for like a year or two. They get drawn. I've never been drawn. Well, it, it took me 13 years. You know, I went back in 2010 and then 2023 was the, the lucky number 13. Uh, and even in 2010, my dad was the one who won the lottery. So I had never personally won the lottery until this, this year, 2023. Uh but I do, I will say, you know, one of the, the fun things about a practice round before we, we move on, one of the cool things we got to do is if you know how to pick your spots, if you're going to Augusta National, one of the fun things that you can get some really good views. One of my favorite things we did was we snuck around. Was that to the 14th tee? Uh, you, you'll have That's to right. Remind That's right. Guys. Yeah. The 14th tee. And it was fun. It was, if you got behind that tee box, we were able to stand no further than a couple feet from some of the best golfers in the world and Gordon Sargent. That's right. Who I thought at the time was going to be one of the best golfers in the world. He may be one day, one day he might be, but I will say, yeah, along those same lines, I've always gone to 16, even back in 92 when I went 92. And let me tell you, there was no one there. I mean, the crowds Mm -hmm. were, and it was for a practice round. There was no one there. We actually took a nap across the lake um, on 16 because it was just, an open field of grass. And so we just laid down there and, and slept. Um, and so I've always gone and thrown my chair on 16, but I will say Hayden, um, after 23 going and a couple of times I got right on the rope, you know, behind the tee box, I got behind on 16, I got behind on 14, like you said, and I got behind on 17 and seeing those guys, seeing the way the ball takes off their club is literally magical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, on 16, I was, you know, literally within arm's distance with, you know, DJ and Gary Woodland, some guys that were uh, playing and hearing them talk to each other and, and joke around and, you know, they're joking around with the, with the patrons and, and then seeing that ball fire off their club. I've never seen anything like that from my club. Uh, but <laughs> it's really fun city, seeing that ball just really go up to the clouds and it, it was beautiful. And there's some great vantage points to do that. Hayden, you're right. 14 was a great spot to do that. 16, when you're looking at the par three there, you can get right in tight behind them on four when they're hitting into that really difficult par three. So there's several holes you can really get right. And not just, and the one thing about the Masters, and it's probably appropriate to point this out, there's not a lot of grandstands out there, in particular on the tee boxes. So if you are time it right, you can get right up against the ropes and be within 10, 15, not even, maybe 10 feet of these guys where they're hitting these shots. And uh, it, it makes for an experience I don't think you can get many other tournaments that have those grandstands just packed in around those tee boxes. Yeah, uh, DJ on, on 16 that day, the, that day was, he was worried about his backswing hitting someone. I mean, it, it, you're literally right up on top of them. Um, and it's the closest I'm going to get to hitting a shot like that. I'll tell you that. And knowing Augusta and how they run that tournament, that is very intentional. I mean, they are very, there's no detail left uh, unattended to. And so when they put the ropes out and they do rope off that entire course, they want the patrons as close as possible to those players. And you don't get the feeling of that. I've been to, um, you know, PGA Championship. I've been to a number of regular tour events. 
you don't get that same feeling like they they're encouraging that kind of intimacy with the players pardon the phrase the turn of phrase there but the idea that you can be within a few feet of a guy who's hitting a really important shot uh, and Augusta has a bunch of those opportunities and hey you're right we're seeing that that tee shot on 14 this year that little that little nook where you can see them playing 13 all the way down then tee on 14 that's something I hadn't seen before. So if you're, a, you know, someone who's been to the Masters before, check that out. Wander over behind that 14th tee box because you got a view right down 13 for players coming that way. Um, and uh, make sure you find yourself behind a couple of these guys. At my, my age, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I have trouble picking the ball up in the air kind of from that <laughs> side angle. So being behind them, at least I can kind of see the ball take off. We were behind yeah. 14 watching Homa and Justin Thomas hit uh, – and, you know, you could see very clearly the, the flight of that golf ball and how long it hung in the air. So those are really cool and unique viewing experiences. Uh, where else would you go throw a chair down or make sure you, you would go see players play that might be a little bit off those beaten paths, like 16 or, or 12? I don't know that it's off the beaten path, but number 10 is my favorite hole out there. It's just a beautiful hole. Um, I think the, the strategy that, that I think I've always used is to throw my chair somewhere early in the morning and walk the course first uh, because as great as it is to see these these amazing athletes and and golfers the the best part about being there is just seeing the course um, and it's a hard walk because it's hilly but it's not a hard walk as far as the ground it's literally like, like walking on carpet um, and so you know t seeing 10 and everyone talks about the elevation when you get there and it is staggering but just the beauty of the course the slope uh the way it, you know comes back into the woods there and the bunkering and it's just uh 10 is a place that i will always see number 10 when i when i go there and one of the great things about 10 during a tournament round is they usually start players off the first tee box so you can actually just kind of walk down 10 without a million people and kind of just absorb 10 walking up to 11 from the 10th green without anybody around and it's really yeah. kind of majestic um hey what'd you last time you were there what did you what'd you pick out spots you might want to visit yeah you know um definitely not that tea box on 17 we're gonna avoid that at all costs <laughs> um you know i think they i'm sure they have fixed any, tree any problems. Sort of, <laughs> any tree problems but you know just in case maybe stay away from 17 tea box um i think one of the the coolest things for me is to watch 18 that tea box that tea shot there uh, because of just how narrow it is, right? We, we, then you factor in all the people gathered around, but then you factor in these tall Georgia pines that are, that are so closely uh, on either side, right? That makes you really are hitting out of a chute. Um, and it's one of those cool holes just to, to watch these players hit because it looks like an impossible shot. And yet they stand up there and hit it like it's no big deal. Um, it really does that, look like an impossible yeah. shot. I mean, you stand yeah. back there. The first time you see that little alleyway at 18, it's jarring. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, there's no chance I could get it through there. Um, mm -hmm. So it is a, that's something you have to visit, if, even if you don't stand there all day. Yeah. And, and I guess the question would be, right, is it worth it to lay a chair down on 18, right? Like, Do you want to be a part of the finish? Now, I will say, you know, my critique of the, the tournament recently has been that it hasn't come down to the 18th hole. So maybe you're, you're making a risk by putting your chair down on 18, but also 18, that approach is so iconic. Like that would be a really fun thing to sit and watch, right? To watch people make those putts. Brooks Kepka probably could have used some time sitting in a chair on 18 to understand which <laughs> way that putt breaks on 18 for the Sunday pin back in 2019. He could have sat there for a while and learned something, um, but 18 green, I, you know, I would also say, you know, I don't want to overlook the significance of that hole, right? That's the probably the hole that we have seen the most just because it has all those significant moments, whether it's Hideki's caddy bowing, whether it's Phil smashing the earth as he tries to jump up. Um, with all the, I think the earth moments. actually moved. I think he kind of changed a little bit of the, uh, the gravitational pull of the planet for a few <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I, I, wonder, back in time. I wonder if this is... I wonder if you could actually take two or three chairs in and set chairs up at different places. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'll get, if, if they would let that's you. That's a good that. idea. But that, you certainly can like, buy them when you get in there. Yeah. You'd be a real pro if you could do that. Oh, that is, that's solid advice. We are going wow. outside the box.
It's well done, sir. Well done. Cheat um, code activated. <laughs> I, I really enjoy a couple spots, you know, uh, as a viewer that you don't usually see on TV, um, kind of that tee shot on two going down the hill and then winding back up to three. I really enjoy the third hole uh, and kind of blending into the fourth hole. But my favorite hole out there is the fifth hole. Um, now they've lengthened it so, so much the last few years. It doesn't even seem like a real golf hole when you go look at it. But you can get, nobody really goes back there. It's kind of like this little back part of the property. Um, you know, it's kind of sectioned off by a fairly significant slope. Um, but once you get back there, there's some really good viewing angles. It's a really dramatic tee shot with the bunkers on the left. And then you can kind of get in there real tight to the right side for those approach shots to a really challenging green. And then you kind of glide around um, and, and you can head over to the six tee box and see another really great tee shot. So I think for a viewer, I love that little that little triangle in that four, five, six, I think is really fun. And of course, from six, you can just glide right down to 16 and get back into your chair. So if I'm viewing walking three, four, and five, or excuse me, um, four, five, and six, and then setting a chair down on 16. The other place I saw this year, and I, we walked over there briefly, kind of to look at the new 13th tee box. But the other place I really liked is a little seating area just to the right of the 12th tee box, looking at kind of at 13. And if you can get there and throw your chair down, you're going to be able to see everybody coming down 11 right across the 12th tee box, all the tee shots on 12, and of course, the putting on 12. And then you're going to be able to see the players tee off on 13, kind of out of that shoot down now almost to where you are parallel to you just because they've moved that tee box so far back. That's when I haven't thrown a chair down yet. That looks like a pretty cool spot. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think that's probably the most popular spot to throw a chair down. Obviously, eighteen, uh, but there on on the twelve thirteen spot is is really popular. Um, I, I do think the great thing about four or five is, like you said, there's very rarely big crowds back there, you know, except for like when Tiger goes through or whatever. But most of the time, you can you can get wherever you want to get in that area, which is nice. It's and for a place, if you have not been there. I need to warn you, be ready for the crowds. I mean, they put a ton of people on that golf course. We were actually speculating on that. Our last visit is there 75,000 people here today. It, it seemed like that many just for a practice round. And so there's a ton of people there. And so finding those little, little nooks where there's not a crowd with you is pretty important. I would say um, if you're walking into that main gate the first time, don't go to the pro shop. Don't go order food. There's plenty of food out on the golf course, you know, save for later in the day, your, your trip to the pro shop. We'll talk about that in a minute, but you know, once you kind of get into those back corners of the golf course, you can see a lot of great golf without a lot of interference. Um, what are some holes uh, that maybe, again, Hayden, something, a hole that you like that people don't see a whole lot of uh, on television? Any place that you like to spout? I mean, you said 18 and we've talked about 16. Anything else on the front nine you like to visit? Yeah, I, you know, I think... When I'm thinking about favorite holes, uh, you know, certainly two is an iconic approach. I love watching that approach to two, especially on Sundays where the ball can funnel back to the hole, right? Where you have a chance of, man, if you hit a really good shot, you could be rewarded with a very makeable eagle putt versus if you don't hit a good shot on there, you are trying to get it on there and hoping to get it close to maybe make a birdie, but hopefully just get out of there with a par. Um, it's a, a hole that you can attack, but again, it's just such, it, it, it's so iconic. And that's what I do love about this course, right? Is that every Sunday, I know that pin's going to be down there on the right side. I know that if you hit a good tee shot and you hit a fade in there and it lands in the right spot, it could roll back to the hole. And so I love that about the masters that I know what I'm going to get. And I know that like sparks can fly on too, right? You can have a Louis Ustase and uh, albatross. Uh, you can also have guys that go in there thinking they're going to get an eagle and walk away with a bogey and that their, their chances of the tournament are over after two holes. Mm -hmm. and, and that's exactly right. That's why I think some of those early holes, even one, you know, is, is mm -hmm. no walk in the park. You look at that tee shot. Uh, that is really harrowing, especially trying to find an angle to get to the pin on that green. And so watching some of those early holes, the, the, the really tricky pitch shot on three, you can see a lot of dramatic things, especially in a tournament round that could, that can change people's fortunes very, very quickly. Yeah. I would say uh, on the front, number three is, is a great hole. I, I love that, you know, they have a short par four uh, out there. They're not all the, you know, 475 yard, 510 yard, you know, par fours that uh, the PGA tour has so many of, but 
three is a really short hole, but it's a really hard hole. Um, you know, guys are driving, they're hitting their, their second shots are 40, 50, 60 yards, and they're struggling because the greens are so tricky. Um, mm -hmm. so, yeah. Th I love, I love number three. And in a way, you know, over the, as time has passed over the last 25, 30 years since we've been going, Augusta has gotten a little bit away from some of those shorter par fours. They've lengthened, you know, nine, they've taken really the dog leg out of it. It used to be kind of a, a, a hole you could challenge a dog leg and get a really short wedge in there. Um, five has been lengthened considerably. Um, you know, so you, you see the lengthening of those holes. Uh, it has made it a little less fun to see those little kind of flippy wedges that um, can be so rewarding when it's pulled off or so, you know, frustrating when it rolls back down the hill and three down, you know, 40 feet from the green. They just don't have those too many of those shots anymore. If there's a knock on the place, it's kind of they've removed a little bit of that drama from those um, approach shots. It's, it's kind of become when they tiger proofed it, quote unquote. <laughs> they took that all away. They just couldn't on three. There's nowhere else to go with the tee box on three. So you, they were stuck with that short one. Yeah. But it's it's a perfect hole of you don't really you don't see a lot of eagles on it, right? Like it's not this like, oh, I'm gonna drive the green and and make a putt. It is a hole that can confound players. You yes, saw Bryson, right, a couple of years ago when he was talking about Augusta being a par 67, and then he loses a ball on three, has yeah, no idea right. where the ball is, has to re-tee. Uh, again, you have to play that hole so well. And even if you hit a great tee shot, that's no guarantee that you're going to walk out of there with a par. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Um, and, and along those same lines, I love number six as well. The green is an unbelievably difficult green on six the it's the literal cliff in the middle of the green that the ball mm -hmm. just you know falls off of um and so uh we've seen some shockingly bad and shockingly good putts on six and i'm glad they haven't softened that green much you know they softened that fifth green which used to have two big mounds in the front uh, which is not as dramatic as it used to be. It used to be almost blatantly unfair, frankly, but uh, was fun to watch them try to navigate it. But six, they kind of kept that green intact. And you just can't, in fact, go look at it. If you get a chance to go, if you're listening now, just walk down and look at that six green and see those tears that John's talking about. It's really something to behold. There's 0% chance I could ever get a ball on that back right pin position. There's just no way. And so to see him do it on a Sunday, it's shocking. Um, so strategies, kind of when we go to view, I, I got to bring this up. It's extremely important. Food and bathroom strategies matter at Augusta National because <laughs> they get you through the food stands quickly. In fact, the great thing about going down by 16 or excuse me, 13, that little spot is they have that kind of the party center down there around 13, a great uh, food stand there. But, you know, it's a little bit of a, a wait. You got to be very strategic about getting into the bathroom lines and the food lines. So how would you uh, recommend to uh, spectators managing their a uh, their dietary habits at augusta national and uh also trying to strategically use the facilities uh, which is an interesting experience when you go there well as far as food, I'm, setting, I'm setting you guys up let's talk about let's talk about how to take a pee break at augusta there's a, there's a lot to trees. talk about there's a lot to talk about there it's really important because you don't want to miss the golf uh, but and, and you don't want to lose your friends <laughs> that's, right. that's right i have a certain exactly. friend who wandered around for about exactly. two hours after he yeah. disappeared going to the bathroom it's also you can't use your cell phone out there it's good to know you can't bring your cell phone there's no texting no. your buddy you need to make a plan of how you're going to meet up if you get separated because that's you probably right. will we did not make a plan uh it was a problem anyways problem. the that's a lot of good stuff so the food is super important because you can get extremely full for a little bit of money um, I had a goal last year when we went of eating 10 egg salad sandwiches. I did not meet my goal, which leads to my next point. Because I ate so many egg salad sandwiches, I did have to go to the bathroom. Uh, and going to the bathroom in Augusta is both a great experience and a terrible experience because there's these long lines and you just hate to wait in line when there's you know, you want to be on the course watching. Uh, but I will say that every bathroom has 20 attendants and they're there to make sure your experience is pleasurable. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, so let me Whatever just, um, it takes. Wait, do, do tell. <laughs> I, I waited in this long line. Augusta goes above and beyond. I went around these, you know, 
in and out of the lines and I waited. Finally, you know, you get to the front and they're like front nine or back nine. Unfortunately, I had to go back nine. And so I had to wait <laughs> there. They opened the, the stall door. A guy goes in there. He sprays down the seat for me. This is incredible. This is a public bathroom. He sprays down the seat for me, you know, wishes me good luck. And I sit down and use the bathroom. I really thought they were going to offer to wipe me. They didn't. <laughs> but I expected them to offer to wipe. Uh, but it, I really... As much as I enjoyed the course, the bathroom experience was close. It, it was close. It's, it is the, I would say this for a massive sporting event, it's the best actually in the facility experience you can have. Uh, the air fresheners, yeah. they, they manage the, the windows where there's airflow coming through there. So you got all, all air flowing through there. It's, um, mm -hmm. and, it's and a pretty our, special yeah. experience. And for our ladies listening, I know I'm sure we have a, a large female audience. So hello to everyone. Uh, but we, my, my fiance went with us to the masters in 2023, which was a great experience. And she was just delighted because there, this is the first time in her life that she's never had to wait to go to the bathroom. You know, at every airport, you see the ladies line for the, the women's restroom is backed out to the hallway. And for her, she was able to just walk right in because I think when you go to the masters, there's gotta be what 80% men 20 percent women something like that maybe more maybe less mm -hmm. uh so for all the ladies this is this is your time to shine your chance to never have to wait to go to the bathroom i mean at, at, up until 98 when they didn't have any women members there was no women's restrooms <laughs> on the course so I mean, it's right. really they've come a long way that's a joke i'm, not, I'm never fair. i'm never win the lottery i'm out <laughs> my lottery tickets are gone that was josh flagel just want to clarify <laughs> not hayden copeland's and I want the record to show as we talk about food and we have to talk about the food, um, you know, dollar fifty egg salad sandwiches two two dollar, you know, draft beers. Uh, I did manage six egg salads on our last trip down there. Um, I love the egg salad. Uh, you know, you can you can get a little chicken biscuit for breakfast, which was fantastic. I always get the, car uh, the caramel corn. What are the what are the go to food options for you guys when we go to Augusta? And Hayden, just to let everybody know, I mean, not to put you, yeah. you out there, but the gluten free diet. That's you found right. stuff to eat there. This you don't. This my body is a temple, and so uh, only gluten free things go into my body. No, I have a uh, celiac disease, and so my fiance and I both actually uh, have the same issue of not being able to eat bread. And so we were kind of worried. You know, one of the big draws of going to Augusta for the Masters is the food, and so we were kind of bummed going in. And we got to the line for the concessions, and there's a sign there. It's not on the website. So this is a fun fact is that they had gluten-free buns. So they were, we were able to eat four barbecue sandwiches. I mean, I think it cost us maybe $9 for four barbecue sandwiches. And it was one of the best sandwiches I've ever had in my life. Uh, and so that's the kind of details that Augusta takes care of. This is like to show you, right? They're the kind of people that are going to open the bathroom door for you. And they're the kind of people that are going to get you gluten-free buns uh so you can enjoy the same experience that everyone else is i can only imagine what the negotiations with the subcontractors who man the bathrooms and work in the uh the pro shop and do the food like i think the number one thing is you be nice to the patrons that's all you got to do number one or else you're never gonna get this contract again we're going to go somewhere else and we're going to pay you a gajillion dollars to come in and spray down john pierce's toilet seat and you're going to smile and you're going to thank him for the privilege of doing that or you're never going to come back and, and work again. I think Augusta really does hold those guys to task about doing the right thing for all their patrons. I get the impression that that employee loved his job, which is some, loved it. Loved it. I mean, spraying down your toilet seat is, is a chore we should all be able to do at least once. It's as good as it gets. It is because it gets. Uh, I think I spent $28 on food last time I was there, and that gets you maybe a, a decent meal at a restaurant here in Nashville. I think I had six you know, egg salads, a pimento cheese, a chicken biscuit. Would we have three or four cookies, probably three cookies, the oatmeal raisin, John, you're right. It's the better of the two cookies. I want to say chocolate chip. Go. I think, yeah, I think oatmeal raisins it. Um, and then a couple draft beers and, and some diet Cokes. And that's the other thing you got to do. I know it sounds corny. You've got to get yourself some collector's cups. You, even mm -hmm. if you don't drink beer, you got to find a friend who drinks a beer. So you get the green one to take home with you. You get the green cup for the, the beer, you get the um, the, the clearish cup for the, uh, there it is, Coach Copeland showing me right here on our screen. Uh, you get the clearish cup for your soft drinks. Uh, I have a cabinet full of those. It is, 
I think if my house burns to the ground, I'll, I'll get the family out first for sure. I, I'm pretty, I mean, that's a no brainer. Um, but before I get the cat out, I'm going for the master's cups. They're, they're coming out before the pets. So that is how important <laughs> those cups are. They hold a, a place of reverence here. So you got to make sure you get those when you go. And the cups, the the cups have the year on them, which is great. It's easy to remember yeah. when you were there. It's, it's and, a beautiful thing. Yeah, unfortunately, PETA is not going to be our sponsor, but um, Josh does love his cat. Uh, it's a love-hate relationship. You're right. He's actually sleeping right next to me as we're talking. Um, beyond the food, we uh, have to talk about the visits to the pro shop, which is a little bit like no matter when you go, it seems like you're waiting in line at Disney to get on, you know, Thunder Mountain, which is, it, it's just, it, it's a daunting experience. But again, they get you through the line pretty quick. And then you get into these pro shops, the two really big ones out there, obviously at the main entrance, um, kind of back behind the clubhouse. And then the one out by the fifth hole, kind of that, uh, the reserve entrance out there, both of those really good pro shops. Once you get in there, how dangerous is that place? How just both of you Ooh. experienced it. How dangerous is it uh, for you and maybe potentially your, your marriage um, yeah. going in there and Gosh. coming out of there? What a, what a true test of Julia and I's uh, engagement. As we walked into that, that's that shop and, you know, I said, honey, you know, I know I just said we couldn't spend this money on a wedding, but uh, let me go ahead and drop a, a, a few, few hundo on uh, some shirts and some hats and some uh quarter zips and a towel you know they really get you at the checkout with all these little knickknacks i'm like you know i do need a master's towel you know i do need a master's ball mark all all these things but it just they say money doesn't buy happiness but those people have never walked into the pro shop at augusta national i think i think you walk into the into the the pro shop the golf shop thinking you need a hat and you walk out with a master's garden gnome. I don't know. What <laughs> don't happened. you get me started on these gnomes? I literally, we we literally saw several garden gnomes that were purchased. Um, what were we? That's doing? what happens in the pro shop. You just you should go in there just with an open mind. Is what you should do. I'm just going to go in there, and whatever strikes me is what I'm going to. I'm just what I'm going to end up with. That you know, how expensive I mean, that is. That is damn expensive. When you're you're hundreds of dollars in if you that's your your strategy you've got i go the other way you've got to have a strategy you cannot you go in there and just let's see where the winds blow you, but that's what's going to happen anyway out of a marriage yeah you're right you're right you're right you're gonna you're cursed either way you end up married to a, you end up married to a garden gnome after you walk out of there <laughs> it's like it's, it's like, like going into a casino you know <laughs> if you have two hundred dollars in your pocket you're going to spend two hundred dollars that's true, it, it, except you're going to walk out with something for it at, at Augusta. You're not going to get much out of it because the difference is when you walk into a casino, it's just depression and anger and bitterness. When you walk into the pro shop at Augusta, it's Disneyland. It's happiness. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just so joyful and yeah, happiness. There's like walk, there, there's like, you walk out with a garden gnome. Yeah, there's and there's like Munchkin singing. It's it's really special. Um, I, one thing to be wary of, and I learned this lesson this year, there is um, distinct sections, as, as Hayden pointed out, you have the kind of the trinket section towards the registers, just the ultimate, I mean, temptation for you to grab every little stupid thing you never wanted for golf, but you're going to get anyway, coasters and garden gnomes. Uh, and then, of course, there's the kind of apparel and all the fun stuff, you, you know, everything from umbrellas and, and mimeographs. Is it a mimeograph? I'm making something up. Is that a word? Anyway, it's stuff you can put on your walls. Um, but there's a little section in the back. Um, I forget what they call it, but I made the mistake of wandering in there last time I was there. And I saw this beautiful quarter zip. It was beautiful. Little baby blue, had the Augusta logo on the side. And it was, I'm like, you know what? I don't have an Augusta shirt. You know, I have a bunch of t-shirts. I've not bought, but I'm going to buy this. This is beautiful. A little quarter zip, long sleeve. It felt like cashmere made love to a, a mink. It was, it was, and I think maybe those are the same animals, but it was unbelievable. And I took I it up to the register. Where, the, where does the cashmere animal live? Where, where does he make <laughs> I'm just worried about this little section in the back. Like, is there an adult video section in the back of this <laughs> no, that's, tent? You have to know I'm a code confused. word. I don't understand. I did not I did not get the same experience in this merchandise tent that you got. 
we, we'll talk about that off the air, but yeah, there's that as well. But I went up to the register and they rang this thing in $175. And of course, there's people waiting behind me. I'm not going to send it back. I just, I ate it. It's, it's now the most valuable piece of, piece of clothing I own. I'll never wear it. I just, I can't wear it to the golf course and get it dirty. I can't wear it to dinner and spill something. I will never, ever wear this thing. It's the most glorious thing I own. Um, but that's what happens at Augusta. You end up just grabbing stuff and, and it's hundreds of dollars and it's worth every penny. And uh, I think I've been there enough times now and probably you guys have as well that my wife just expects it now. Like the credit card bill comes, she just rolls her eyes and we just move on. You know, you, you can't take it with you. So you just, you go in there and you, you eat until you're full. Yeah, it was, it was so sweet. My fiance came in with the plan to buy stuff for everybody else. And then she walked out and then I walked out with my bag that was bigger than hers. She's like, oh, did you get some stuff for your dad? And I was like, who? <laughs> I, I mean, this, is, this is all for me I don't, hey, I don't know hey what who <laughs> hey look your dad had the chance to go and bypass you, know, you you forfeit that um all right a few minutes we have left let's yeah. talk about the golf course more seriously in context of the great courses you know it obviously there's a handful of great courses that we'll probably never get a chance to play right you're never going to get a chance to play pine valley um cypress point is probably out and so is augusta national but when you think about the great courses, you know, that we've seen major championships at, um, where is Augusta rank? I mean, we obviously have this, this fairy tale love for it. Um, it's a different golf course than many others. Gary Player, you know, last year received some criticism for kind of knocking the golf course for if it weren't hosting a major championship, you probably wouldn't think twice about going over there. I, I disagree with him pretty vehemently. I think we'd all, you know, love the chance to play when, when EA Sports came with their new video game, you know, uh, with Augusta on it, I was the first one to buy it so I could just play Augusta on the video game. So where does it stack up against some of the American greats that we, if you haven't played, at least to see on TV? Is it is it the greatest American golf course, in your opinion? I know we're not experts on that. I think, Josh, you have a lot more experience on great golf courses than, than I do. Um, but the the tradition... Those are not always good experiences, John. <laughs> but I have been, it's, I've had been I think blessed. it's impossible to separate the golf course from the tradition uh, of the place. Um, I, I can't even do that in my mind. And so the tradition alone of the place uh, gives it this place of reverence. Um, I think it is a great course. I mean, I, it's obviously unbelievably well-maintained, but I think the layout is great. Uh, but even if it weren't, the tradition just makes it the, the mecca of golf uh, for me. Um, but, but I do think the layout is great. And, and I think it's a beautifully designed and obviously beautifully manicured course that is second to none in my, in my books. Yeah, I think the design elements are unbelievable because the elevation there could, they could have screwed that up pretty easily. In fact, if you look at the earlier, uh, the earliest architectural designs for Augusta National, there were some very different looks to some of those holes that I think McKenzie and, and, and you know, more previous redesigns, they've done a great job managing the elevations out there and making it integral to the course, but not a disaster when you're trying to play it. Not all courses pull yeah. it off. No, I think we've, we've all played courses that are Mickey Mouse courses because they've got these elevations that are just for no reason and ridiculous. Uh, but the great thing about Augusta is it's very up and down, but at the same time, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it's, it, it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's something for just the classic golf course design. You know, growing up in Atlanta, one of my favorite places I got to play uh, was Eastlake. Uh, just a very traditional course, right? This idea of, right, you have these elevated tee boxes, you tee down to a lower area, and then you're hitting back up the hill to an elevated green. That kind of classic golf course design is something really fun. Like, I love playing that course because it feels like I'm walking back in time, that I'm playing this classic game that has been around for hundreds of years. And I think that's the feeling that we get when we're walking the grounds at Augusta, right? That, man, this is a hollow ground that, that the, this ancient game has been played on. You know, I've never been to St. Andrews, but I think that's maybe the one that would just come to mind as like a comparable, like, oh, this would be such a special place to be, right? But, you know, Augusta is special. I, I, I you know, from, I actually have had a friend that has played it uh, actually last Christmas. 
uh, went down there around over in December and played it. And again, said amazing golf course, but what makes what made it more special was just the 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 care and attention they took with their guests. That the wine cellar in the clubhouse was second to none. The the food experience, everything about the experience is what makes Augusta special. The course is amazing, but even more amazing is the experience of being on those grounds. And you're right. And you said it, Hayden, in our precap for last year's Masters, and John, you reiterated it. You can't separate the course from the legacy. You just can't remove, you know, the gosh, we are over 100 years closing out of, of golf at Augusta National in the Masters tournament. And you just can't separate those things. Uh, they are intertwined. And so it probably does make it the greatest just for that reason. Um, you know, I, I will tell anybody to the day that I leave this earth that Pebble Beach is the greatest course I've ever played. I haven't played St. Andrews yet. Um, I can't imagine anything quite like Pebble Beach uh, just from a golfing experience. But if I got to play Augusta National, which I never will, even if it's not as great a golf course as Pebble Beach, just the memories of almost every hole of those that have gone before us and trying to hit some of those shots or make some of those putts, yeah. there's no course maybe in the world that has that type of connection to, to us. Um, you don't have a major every year at St. Andrews. You don't have a major every year at Pebble Beach. You don't have a major every year at, uh, at you know Pine Valley. But every year you have Augusta, and every year you have new memories uh, and new legends that arise, you know, John Rahm being one this year. And so I do think it probably stacks up and maybe puts it right at the very top uh, of golf courses in the world, even if it's not technically the best designed golf course in the world, which it might be too. I don't know. Do you you think your favorite memories, if you got to play Augusta would be the double bogey on one or the triple bogey on 17? Which one of those would be your favorite memory? I, I've fallen in love with all these uh, internet kind of challenges. Like if you got to play Augusta from a hundred yards in on every hole, do you think you could win the masters? No, you couldn't win the masters. What are That's you talking about? Hard. Yeah. It's from a hundred <laughs> yards in that I would blow up. Drop yeah. it on the green and I will yeah. still maybe over, over 72 holes exactly. get a birdie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, as we wrap up, you know, and thinking about the future of Augusta National and, and the way the game is changing and, and the potential rollback of the golf ball, what what do you think the future holds for that place as far as not just the tournament, but the golf course? Is it going to hold up to these guys, these Gordon Sargents of the future? Um, do they need to make more changes? Do they need to roll it back to where we were? What do you think? I see the rolling symbols from uh, Hayden. What, what, roll what back, baby. The future. Sam Walton says, roll that back. Um, <laughs> um i i i love the the idea at least of experimenting with a rollback i don't know if that has to be the way of golf forever but there is something that is a little bit of a bummer of right you think back to 2020 and dj just kind of feasting on this golf course and making it look easy and it's not the way this course is supposed to be this course is supposed to drive you crazy um, you know, I like a winner to be like seven or eight under for 72 holes. And it feels like we're never going to get that again. Um, unless there is some sort of change, a rollback maybe. Yeah. Or the, the weather kicks up, you know, like a Zach Johnson here, but, um, I will say it's not like scoring has gone bananas there. You know, you're, it looked like after 36 holes, we're going to have a 20, 21, 22 under winner. And we end up with John Rahm at what was it? 13. Um, so they do manage to keep the scoring in large part because of how they, you know, protect uh, the, the greens and, and make sure you, you have to really work around the greens. But I don't know if there's ever a way, I don't know if you put the toothpaste back in the tube, if you will, when it comes to the distance in golf, I just feel like these guys are, even if you roll the ball back, they're going to find a way to take advantage of higher swing speeds and better conditioning in the gym. I just don't know if there's a way to, to do it to protect yeah. these golf courses. I don't, I don't like the rollback just because of the tradition of the game. Uh, You know, you think about the game of basketball, for example, they're not raising the goals to 11 feet now that guys are playing so far above the rim. Um, I I just like, and I know golf's different because the equipment changes. There's no equipment in basketball that's changing. Um, The athletes are just getting bigger and stronger, but that's also happening in golf. 
Um, and so, you know, the, I don't like the idea of a rollback just because of the, the tradition of the game and, and they're playing the same game. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that Augusta has been overpowered. You know, Bryson saying that it's a par 67 or what he said, um, it didn't pan out that way. Uh, but I do think that it can be overpowered. You know, and they've, they're always talking about ways to to make the approach shots there more traditional, what they've kind of were doing 60 years ago and 30 years ago and having guys come into those greens. And that's why the, the pushback on those tee boxes, but at a certain point you run out of land. Now I know they've talked about building another golf course there and doing different things. And they fought for an ungodly amount of money land from Augusta country club. But at a certain point, it, it if you keep linking those holes, it, it changes your relationship with them. They don't feel the same. Like I said, nine doesn't feel the same to me as it did, you know, 25 years ago where you had to kind of decide if you want to cut that corner or you could bring the trees, you know, through the fairway into play. Now it just feels like a straightaway, you know, downhill back to up the hill par four. So the idea of, of changing the golf course is got to run out of, there's no traction for that at some point. Yeah, that's crazy how nine has become a pretty easy hole. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it seems like that is just a vomit down there. And then you've got a little wedge up to the an elevated green. But like there is no, you know, I've got to work it around this corner to get a good angle. It's just just fire it out there and you've got a huge landing area. And there are some holes that could use, if not uh, some length and some tweaking, you know, the Eisenhower tree coming down on 17 and now you have this kind of really boring kind of hole that your your you know penultimate holes just not the most exciting thing you've ever seen you got these dramatic holes of 13 and 15 and 16 and then you kind of want wow, yeah. into 17 so maybe yeah. there's some things to be done there with some strategic planting of trees that won't fall on the spectators when the wind blows more than 10 miles an hour but i do think at a certain point augusta is just going to be what it's going to be and you know if there's going to be a 20 under par winner and you, you know dj you think about his domination I'd almost rather have that than them take away the golf course that we know now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the other question is, are we going to get to a point where they can't hit it further? I mean, we're making all these improvements. I mean, is it, are we going to start having guys that hit it 400 yards? Cause that feels kind of crazy. Also maybe not so crazy if technology continues to improve the way it has. Right. I don't know. And that's, that's where the golf ball may have to be checked. If, if not, it, rolling it back, just limiting future improvements on it because the the way the golf ball works now with the way they have these drivers configured, um, their low spin, you know, a lot of side spin on these, these things and guys can just swing as hard as they want. Adam Scott said famously last year, it doesn't matter how they make, how long they make golf courses. They can't make golf courses too long for us. We 8,000 yards. We'll be okay. You know, the way to, to make it tough for us is growing rough and, you know, changing, um, the, you know, the greens and hiding pins and doing runoffs around the greens. Those are the things he said really frustrate tour players. So, all right, last question before we go. Um, if you could play one hole at Augusta, they said, hey, this is your chance. You're never going to play the full 18. Which hole are you going to play? John Pierce, which hole are you playing if you can play Augusta one hole? Number 10, without a question. Love it so much. And what would you make? Uh, I'd, I'd try to shoot. I would try to make it 10 on 10. That'd be my goal. <laughs> <laughs> we see him over by the cabins. He's just looking to hang out with Rory. But then at yeah. the same time, he's also over by Bubba, where Bubba was. <laughs> he's going to hit all the spots. He's, he's going to visit both spots. I want to see the whole thing. <laughs> How about you, um, Aiden? Uh, now, the, the, it's funny. The first thing I thought of was 16, but then I'm like, man, I'm getting cheated because that's only one swing of the golf club. Um, you know, maybe I want a par five so I can actually have something to, to go after. You know, I think for me, it's either 13 or 16. I think the, the thought of, you know, what if you, what if you did catch the ridge on 16? And what if you got a hole in one on hole 16? And that was like mm. your memory to have for the rest of your life is that you got a hole in one on hole 16. Hayden is um, just so young and, and confident and enthusiastic. I love it. Uh, I'm playing 16, 16. There's no question where my ball is going. It's going to the bottom <laughs> of the pond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you and Xander and, and Greg Norman, all balls be sitting right next to each other on that yeah. pond on 16. In the middle of the pond. I'm getting, I'm getting TIO on 16. Of, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it straight into the grandstands on the right side. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, 
I am, I think I would play 13. I think just the more shots and and just arrogantly just try to rip it a second shot with the balls three feet above my feet and duck hook it into Ray's Creek. I just, the idea of losing the ball in Ray's Creek is really satisfying to me. If I'm going to lose one, I want to put it right in there. So Will you have enough club to get there. No, of course not. But it doesn't matter. I'll try it. Well, you got to go. Who cares? You got to go. And then if I, I hit it in Ray's Creek, I still get to drop and play a pitch shot. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm with John. The more strokes, the more better. The longer I could stay on the golf course, you know, doing it, I might take 100. That'd be great. Just keep hit it back to the tee box and go do it again. Um, all right, guys. Hey, I really appreciate you joining us. I hope uh, we pass along some insider knowledge. Obviously, we're not insiders. We're, in fact, we're about as outsiders as you can get. Um, and yet, you know, being the, the uh, tournament as many times as we have, hopefully there were some good tips about Augusta National. Thank you guys for joining me on the E9 podcast. Um, we will do it again. And uh, everybody listening, thanks for joining us. Until next time, you've been listening to the E9 podcast on the Free Drop Media Network. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the E9 Podcast, a production of Free Drop Media. 